Blog Talk Radio. Welcome all truth seekers from across the globe. This is Reverend Karen L. Heasley from the Spiritual Path Church of Newcastle, Pennsylvania in the United States. Our truth seeker show covers a variety of subjects from angels to afterlife communication, to parapsychology, to spiritualism, to near-death experience, meditation, and a number of other truth seeking topics. We are happy to have chosen to join us tonight for this episode and hope you find it informative and enjoyable. Tonight's guest is Curtis Childs. Curtis is the host and producer of the weekly program Swedenborg and Life, which has accumulated more than 7.5 million views and nearly 51,000 subscribers on YouTube. Curtis has appeared on numerous spirituality-themed talk shows and has had his content featured on the Dr. Oz Show. He works with his team at the nonprofit Swedenborg Foundation to create simple, effective inquiries into life's biggest questions. After our chat with Curtis, we will be open for callers, and we have a chat room open as well. Curtis, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on the show tonight. Thank you for spending time with us. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So I know a little bit about Swedenborg because as being a spiritualist, he was uh, very influential in uh, doing things with Andrew Jackson Davis. But would you tell us who he was and why you became interested in him? Sure. Well, when you at the beginning of this show, when you were mentioning the, the range of topics that you cover, you know, uh, parapsychology, angels, afterlife, near-death experiences, I just thought, oh, this is the right place to talk about Swedenborg because he touches really on all those topics uh, among many others and, and, and is, is sort of fits all those categories. So I feel like he's a, anyone who's interested in that kind of stuff should at least be aware of him and, and what he went through and his contribution and, and the resources that he provides. So I'll give you the short story. I mean, we could talk for a long time about the specifics of, of who he was and, and how he got there, but he was uh, living in the 1700s. In Europe, you, you know, he was Swedish, but uh, spent time in London and Amsterdam, as well as a couple of other places. And, uh, go, you know, growing up was very smart, uh, you know, did very well at everything, began to be very successful as a scientist, adventure, inventor, uh, really what some people call a polymath, that he was essentially good at everything uh, and, and was successful in everything, that he was you know, designing ways to move ships over land. He was heading up Sweden's mining industry, which was a, an economic powerhouse at the time. He was uh, drawing up inventions for flying machines. He was publishing volumes on the nature of biology and anatomy and all these sorts of things. He was doing really well for himself. Um, and, and it could have continued on like that for the rest of his life. But he, in his mid-50s, had what we would now call, you know, a spiritual crisis, spiritual awakening, that 
he went through this period that, that stretched over a number of years in which the the veil was lifted and he initially we, we did a couple of shows on this there's there's actually a lot of complexity to his transition or, or to his spiritual awakening but it's the, the the short story as i said is that he was beginning to have more vivid dreams and he would record what these dreams meant but they began to be mixed with more and more of what we would call spiritual awakening experiences uh, and, and he was also going through this period of intense personal turmoil, sort of wrestling with the big questions of life and of his own soul and kind of having to deal with some of his negative character traits. You know, because he had been so successful, he had a lot of pride and, and, and was pretty full of himself and that he was being confronted by that. So overall, um, had this, this, this huge um, opening up and, and began to become aware of a, an entirely new side of life, a spiritual dimension that was became for him you know not just something conceptual but but vivid and, and something he was interacting with every day he had an encounter with the divine that really changed him and then and then from there on out you know a switch was flipped and he was suddenly you know a dual citizen of, of the spiritual world and the, the physical world that we inhabit meaning that he was while he was continuing to go about his life and write prolifically he was in daily conversation with with spirits and angels he talks about traveling to heaven and to hell and everywhere in between and talking to everyone and recording, uh, you know, the, the deeper secrets of life. Um, and he was able to not just investigate, but, but categorize that for, for a period of 30 years, a little more at the end of his life and, and published 27 volumes and just this wealth of information about um, all aspects of, of the beyond. So he, he took his skills as a scientist and a, and a you know documentarian and applied those to cataloging and describing uh, in detail and, and in the system the way that the spiritual side of reality works and, and in in there had commentary and everything from where thoughts and feelings come from to the nature of religion and spirituality to the purpose of life and, and everything in between so really fascinating story and an amazing wealth of material uh, and I know that you asked how did I get interested in him. I'm actually, there, there are small groups of people who uh, are, you know, you could call them Swedenborgians, but they, they know and read Swedenborg. And uh, I was, happened to be born in one of those. So my, my parents already knew of Swedenborg and were, were reading him. So I, I, he was around, he was sort of in my orbit uh, from when I was little, but I really, it was as I started to get into adulthood and, and start with my own struggles of uh, depression and, and those sorts of things that I really saw, oh, his, his material is not just sort of abstract, interesting philosophy. This, this really applies to life and this really works. And this can really change the way I see life and give me leverage on, on my own mind in ways that, that nothing else does. So, so I, it became real for me. And that was sort of what spurred me to want to try to talk about him with other people uh, like we're, we're doing tonight. So there's, there's the quick intro to myself and, and to Swedenborg. Well, that's fascinating. There's um, <clears throat> one thing I did want to ask you that I, um, I'm curious about. You named the YouTube uh, channel Off the Left Eye. Can you tell me where that name came from? Sure. Uh, and I'll tell you the story behind how I got to that name. Um, so I was, I was starting out making a YouTube channel about Swedenborg. Um, and the, I don't know if that sounds ridiculous to you, but like nobody knows about Swedenborg, as you were saying, he, he's relatively unknown. And, and, and how, yeah. And how, how am I going to get anybody interested in Swedenborg? You know, how am I going to, because Swedenborg, I mean, 
he's got all this stuff that's a little hard to swallow for people. I mean, because he's he's talking about the reality of of spirits and the afterlife. He's also using Christian terminology at times. He's also, you know, um, talking about scientifically. It's just it's a hard thing to get people interested in. That, and, and his writings can be can be long and and can be rel- relatively philosophical. So I was there thinking, so how am I gonna? What do you name a channel about this stuff? And and how do you do it in a way that people are gonna be intrigued and want more? So. I just, I, I had a couple of books of his near me in my office at the time and I was flipping those open and looking for, okay, what's a cool phrase that I can use kind of like a band name, you know, like what, what can I put on here that will intrigue people, but, but won't, won't turn people away or something. And so there's a story that, that he tells twice, actually in two different books of his, one is in heaven and hell and the other is in the first volume of his anthology called secrets of heaven. Um, I got, I had the heaven and hell version in front of me where he, he talks about, what we would now call a near-death experience, um, that he was shown what the dying process is. Uh, he wasn't actually in any physical danger at the time, but he says that he got to feel what it was like to leave the body and, and wake up in the spiritual world, but, but with a part of his mind still conscious enough throughout the whole process that he could kind of catalog it uh, and, and, and understand what was happening so that he could write it down. For, for people who would read it later. So he had this experience and, and I won't go into the whole thing, but essentially he, he felt his spirit begin to be pulled out of the body. And then so this deep um, awakening of, of uh, this, the second side of his reality and the disconnect from the physical. And when he finally got into a, a fully spiritual state, initially he was just in an emotional state, an emotive state that he was, in what he would call the highest level of the mind or the celestial level of the mind. And when he was there, he said angels were with him, helping him make this transition. And at the time it was just the, these, um, the deepest, highest uh, angels that, that were just sending love. And that's all it was. It was about love, about emotion. But as he began to wake up and began to sort of use his spiritual intellect or spiritual sight there were different angels came who were, who were, you know, sort of versed in wisdom and, and could help him there. And as they gave him the use of, of spiritual sight, he says, it seemed as if a covering was rolled off the left eye. And that was how we got it. So it's a, that's where the name came from. And it's a symbol too of with, with Swedenborg, he talks about, and this was before there was any science on the, the hemispheres of the brain, but he talked about, you know, sort of the left side, being intellectual on the right side, mm-hmm. being vo- volitional. Um, and so I see it as like what we're doing on our channel is just d- disseminating information, right? We're, we're telling you stuff to do. We can't go out and help you turn it into loving actions and, and, and making the world a better place. So sort of like we provide the left side, you guys go provide the right side and, and hopefully we make the world a better place. So that's a, that's the story of how the, the channel got its name. And yeah, I do get a lot of people asking me about that. Did that have anything to do with the veil at all? Just lifting the veil up for him? Yeah, I, I'm just I mean, curious. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's probably the same kind of thing. You know, he he talks mm-hmm. about it. He, it's funny that he doesn't talk about an actual cover being pulled okay. off. He says it seems it seemed like a cover. Okay. You know, that he's aware mm-hmm. that this is an appearance of some. Uh, it's a symbolic thing, and for him, like yes. the the spiritual world, everything has symbolism there. So mm-hmm. so every everything, it, nothing is just like a. Oh, here's some cellophane wrapped around. There's meaning in everything. So there was no, some meaning symbols. in mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's true. Um, if people want to know more about uh, Swedenborg, are there books and websites that uh, you can recommend to them? Certainly. Um, I mean, 
you know, if you're up for it, his own books are a great place to start. And we, so I work for the Swedenborg Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization. Uh, and we make all of his books available for free as PDFs or eBooks. So you can go to Swedenborg.com and visit the bookstore and you can download any of those uh, that you're interested in. We also have the, the paperbacks that you can buy if you're, if you want a physical book. Um, and I would say, you know, depending on what your interest are there's a lot of different routes you can take in exploring Swedenborg because as I said he wrote 27 volumes I mean and, and they, they there's such a wide-ranging uh, group of topics that he covers um, so it depends a little bit on what you're interested in I would recommend Heaven and Hell or we have a, a truncated version of that called Afterlife or even a shorter version called uh, Our Life After Death these are just little sort of introductory texts we also though if you go to YouTube and search who was Swedenborg, we have a video called who was Swedenborg? What should I read? And it's just a seven minute video, but it explains the basics of who he was. And then also what his books are about in general. So you can see what's interesting there and you can go check all those out. And, but if you feel like, Oh, I don't want to take on reading a bunch of, of his material. You can always check out our videos at youtube.com slash off the left eye. That's where we go in. We read some of his stuff and then make commentary on it and use graphics and, and uh, music and, and everything else to try to bring the ideas to life. So sometimes people see that as a starting point where they get interested, get a few topics in, and then go read uh, some more of the books. Uh, and on Swedenborg.com as well, we have you know, a lot of um, commentary on Swedenborg by others. So that's kind of a nice way to ease into it as well. Yeah, I did download some of the books, uh, I have to say, <clears throat> and I read them. Fascinating. He he was just fascinating. Um, yeah. So in the video, You Are the Lungs, it lists one of Swedenborg's quotes. It says, it is a secret not yet known in the world that heaven, seen all at once, appears as a single human being. Would you explain the idea that we are all part of one whole? Sure. And uh, that's a recurring theme in Swedenborg's works. And I think it comes back to what we were just saying that everything is symbolic. So Swedenborg says you could, so he talks about heaven and heaven as a state of mind that, that exists, that, that, you know, exists with people who are in the, the afterlife, but also can exist with people who are in this life here. And it has to do with, with mutual love interconnection and essentially wishing well to, to the human race and, and working to contribute to, to everyone's happiness to him he saw the human body as a small scale example of heaven. Meaning if you think about all the different cells in the body, how, what do they do? What's their sort of their guiding beliefs? I mean, they give everything they can to the whole, right? You think about it, a liver cell, all it's doing is working to detoxify. And that's what it's thinking about. That's what it's doing. And that's what, that's what it contributes. And it receives as well. It receives everything it needs from the body. You know, it needs oxygen needs nutrients and those come in from the, the bloodstream and other areas. So it's this, it's this sort of small scale example of mutual love and that all the, think about all the different organ systems and how they're interdependent. They're different. It's not that we all have to be the same, that we can be quite different, but yet because of the differences we all have, we can contribute in our own unique ways to this overarching whole. And, and you see how, how much harmony there is within the systems of the body. And he said that that is, that is actually literally a, a small scale representation of heaven. And so that heaven, it's not like heaven is shaped like a human body, you know, 
I mean, uh, physically, but in the way it works, in the way that people there are all thinking about how do I serve others, how do I make life better for everyone, and in the way that people do what they're best at, and the way that the different communities all work together, that that it's it's the same principle in heaven that it is on a small scale in the human body. So there's this oneness from the purpose, which in, in the body the purpose is health, you know, and, and being able to do the things the body needs to do, and in heaven the the purpose is the happiness uh, of everyone uh, of the human race. So in that way, Swedenborg again and again says that there's this direct what he calls correspondence or, or this symbolism, this living symbolism between the human body and and the potential of heaven. And that any so anytime you want to learn more about what heaven is, just look at the way the body works and the way that it supports and is is distinct but yet completely cooperative and, and is working together for these these single goals. So there's a you know he writes so much on it. We could talk for for the, the whole show about it, but I'll I'll leave it at that for now unless you want to hear anything more no. specific. Okay, we might come back to that too. Um, <laughs> we, we, yeah, we probably will. So Swedenborg describes the afterlife. He talks about three levels of heaven. Um, would you describe his view of heaven? Yeah, so I talked about just a, a little bit there that, that he talks about it as a state of mind, that, that the spiritual world, so we have the physical world here, and the physical world... Right at its most basic level is run by physical laws, right? It's, it's things like, you know, and I'm not a, I'm not a physicist, but things like gravity and, you know, the weak atomic force, strong atomic force, whatever it is, that's what's differentiating the world. That's what's creating the conditions we see here. That's why things are the way they are. And then in the spiritual world, it is spiritual laws that are running it. And spiritual is, you could, you could almost say it's the same thing as, you know, mental and emotional, that, that we, the conscious part of us, he says, is, is our spirit. So in the spiritual world, it's act, the driver is not gravity, but the driver is love and the driver is wisdom. It's these states of mind that actually create the conditions there. So when he talks about heaven as primarily a state of mind, which is, as I was saying before, it's, it's mutual love. It's wanting to give of yourself to others. Um, for their benefit and, and, and selflessly and then to receive love in return. Um, that is what creates heaven. Now there is, there is a heaven that uh, it seems external. Like he, he reported going there and seeing these amazing cities and, and, and buildings and people and animals and plants. And it's not that different from what we see here in some ways, but, but he says that the underlying essence of that, the reason everything there is like it is, is because of the love that people have. That that's what generates it on a spiritual level. So when he talks about three levels of heaven, those are, aren't just, you know, arbitrary distinctions that are made, but those are uh, three levels that we all have latently within our minds that the more we open those levels, the deeper into heaven we come. And when you think about levels, it's not like, like three bricks stacked on top of each other, but think about levels like um, I was talking about the body before. And as he said, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a metaphor. So think about, um, you know, like uh, on the, the, the big, the deepest level, I mean, the, the, the most outward level is like, you know, you think about the, the belly, right. Of a person, it's just, a, okay. it's just one thing. But then if you look more deeply, there are these organ systems that that's a, that's a level within. And then there are, there are tissues that you can look at it as a level of tissues. That's a level within, and then you can get even further in to the level of the individual cells. So you have these different levels. Um, and he says that, 
that's what the levels of the mind are like. You can have your mind opened just on the, the most basic level, or you can have it opened to a deeper level or even to the, something that's everywhere, like cells. So you can have your whole mind opened. And once we get to that point, that's when you're in the third level of heaven. And he says that there, there are three, and that three is a, a number with a lot of meaning. And so it, it has to do with the, you know, your approach, basically your approach to, to loving and, uh, and to the, the good and the true uh, in the world. So the more that people get into that, the, the deeper into heaven you go. Um, and he says that, that there's a lot more on it, but, but the basics is that, that it's, it's what's inside that creates distinctions, not external things like, like walls or fences or maps or something like that. It's, it's about what you care about and what you think about. Okay, so yeah, it's more like you're on a higher vibrational plane than you are here. I would say so. Yep, I think it's it's a good way to put it. Yeah, and so you go from here, shedding your physical body, to uh, going into being a spiritual being and being on a, a little bit of a higher vibrational plane. I would think. Yep, and then and then you can keep going up from there. And the and the communication uh, would be different, correct? I mean, you, your thoughts more telepathy, would you say, Curtis? Uh, Certainly, he, Swedenborg. Right. Swedenborg just yeah, he, he describes um, angels being able to communicate directly with thoughts, um, right. and and not only that, but being able to communicate to you in a way you understand, because they are able to communicate at the level of concept, and so that naturally finds its way into whatever language you know, and that. He would, and he also, it's interesting because he talks about being, he was in this, this sort of tough position of going out and hearing these amazing things, these angelic ideas, and then trying to write them into earthly language, you know, and then often he's like, oh, I just can't find the words for this, or he would approximate it, um, but, but there's, there's just so much, um, what he said, wisdom there that, that um, we can grasp some of it, but, but can't grasp all of it, but yeah, he would often talk about much more effective, intimate methods of communication that you could communicate. He says more in the spirit in in a, in a minute that you could than you could communicate in, in half an hour in this world because of this sort of telepathy, this direct mind to mind communication. Yeah, mind to mind, thought to thought. Yes, that's what I right. thought. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. I do have a question when people go over to the afterlife. The colors. Um, are so much more vivid than they are here. I mean, there's colors they say that you can't even explain when, you know, people that had near-death experiences and so on. Do you understand that about the colors that are more vivid than they are here? Yeah. Yeah. He's, um, the, as far as I understand, the whole spiritual world is, is more real, feels more real than this one. So mm-hmm. everything is, is more vivid. And, yes, Swedenborg does, just like many others have, say that there are colors that um that we don't see in this world which to me uh, you know is so intriguing like what 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 i just can't imagine another color you know it feels like oh we've got all the colors here but i I, i'd I'd so love to see what are those those other colors but he certainly describes yeah that there's recognizable stuff and then and then write some some things uh beyond what we have here but that everything feels more real there and and is as as compared to here yes I just find that fascinating about the colors, though. Uh, absolutely. We, uh, here's another question for you. We tend to think of hell as a place of eternal 
punishment with the devil in charge. Swedenborg had a different view of hell. Would you discuss that, please? Certainly, yeah. So, so Swedenborg, and the funny thing about Swedenborg is that he'll use very familiar sounding of Christian terminology, but he'll often mean very different things by it, uh, because he'll talk about heaven and hell, but they're different than the traditional concepts of heaven and hell. Like we just talked about heaven earlier and how it's the state of mind. It's this different kind of thing. And hell is the same thing. Hell is just the opposite of that. Um, so if heaven is mutual love, uh, hell is you don't love anybody but yourself that, that you don't, that uh, you, you feel like other people exist only to serve you. You only care about, you don't care who you hurt when you do things. It's basically like full on um, ego ruling your life. Uh, and he says that that is, that is hell when, when we have completely disconnected from other people that we don't, we don't care about whether that we have no empathy, no compassion, nothing like that, 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 that is a state of hell. And he says that because as I was mentioning before, sort of what's inside people creates what's outside people in the spiritual world, that they, you have places that look a lot like you would imagine hell. He talks about with all kinds of frightening looking creatures in them and everything like that. And that this is all coming out of the kind of hatred and, and, and negativity that the people have there. However, it's not like the actually people who are in hell, and isn't this kind of true, like when I'm in a really ego-based state of mind, I don't really know that I am a lot of the time. I just think, oh, you know, I'm right. You know, I'm, so he says that people in that hell state of mind, to them, it doesn't look terrible and it doesn't look frightening. It looks normal you know, because they're, that's what they're used to. So really that it's only from a, a true perspective that you can really understand uh, how bad it is. And he, he talks to people in hell who seem to say like, oh, no, this is, this is how you should live, even though there's all kinds of drawbacks to living a, self, a selfish, um, negative life. Uh, some people want to trade that for the, the, uh, the sort of negative, sick pleasure that they can get out of it. Um, it's not like those people, while there's all kinds of setbacks um, and, and uh, unpleasant things that you have to go through, and there are um, there are laws there. So if you break one, you, you just like here, you, you have to pay some kind of penalty. But it's not like a torment. Um, it's a place where actually they're trying to be given the best life they can have, given the stuff that the, the harmful stuff that they want to do. There's not a one devil that's in charge of it. Swedenborg, what Swedenborg called the devil was um, love of evil or, or a loving to to harm people for your own benefit. He, said, he calls that the devil. So in a way that, that does rule hell because everybody's there looking out for themselves. They don't care about who they hurt. And when you're like that and when everyone else around you is like that, it's obviously not a very fun place to be in, but there's not, you know, a supernatural being that is constantly tormenting you and tormenting everyone else. It's sort of a, a hell of our own making. And it's one that it's not that God is sealing people away in there. According to Swedenborg, this is everybody's free to choose what they want, but, but in hell, you're kind of, the, the bonds are your own, um, your own cravings that you, you can't get away from, uh, that, that you, you choose to continue to feed and, and enter these sort of addictive cycles with. Um, so, so he does describe a hell, but it's, it's really, we did an episode called the good thing about hell. And, and it's weird to think about it like that, but what hell is, as he describes it, is, is a way to give people who are devoting their life to really negative stuff the happiest life they can have, even though it's never going to be as happy, even close to as good a life as you get 
when you're devoting your life to the heavenly things and mutual love and all that. Um, but it's still, you're trying to give the pe- people who, who want to choose the dark side the best life they can have as long as they're not harming other people and that sort of thing. So again, he wrote, he wrote multiple books on it, but, but there's a little summary of, uh, of what hell is according to Swedenborg. Does that make sense? It does. And um, I do want to bring this up. Being a spiritualist, we believe that there's always uh, uh, progress for the human soul. Once you cross over, we, you, you, there's always progression for the humans, uh, for the soul. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So I, I'm not sure if he believed in that or not, but um, that's what uh, being a spiritualist believed. That you, even though you, you start your journey over there as a spiritual being, there's still always progress for the human soul. Yeah, he just he just uh, definitely talks about being able to grow and expand in what he calls love and wisdom to eternity, that, that you're never perfected. Yeah, we did a show recently about that, about because um, some people tend to think of heaven or the afterlife as relatively static, but he says that, no, you're, you're eternally growing. Because here, you think about, it makes total sense, because throughout our lives here, we're growing and changing and learning, and why would we stop? Yes. You know, that. That's so alien. I mean, no, nothing in life here is about being static or stop. You're always right. moving. So, so yeah, it makes total sense that on the other side, we continue to grow and progress. I do believe that, that once you pass over, you're still growing and progressing. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. This is, there's some controversy sometimes about angels, but Swedenborg said that all angels were once human beings. Would you describe his ideas about angels in their daily lives? Because some people say, well, angels were never human beings. So that's what I want yes. to ask you. That's right. There, there is a lot of controversy about that, and people have different ideas, and I think that's great. And I'm not going to say I can, I can say for sure what's wrong or right. I will give you Swedenborg's uh, interpretation, which is that, yeah, he believes everybody uh, was, was once a human being. All, everyone he met in heaven, everyone he met in hell. Um, that, that becoming an angel that is a process that we can all go through and that you can be an angel on the inside now. I mean, we, we sort of use that terminology like, oh, she, she's an angel, you know, or, or this person came, in, came to me like an angel when I needed it. Um, and what he described is that process I was talking about before of the opening of the levels of the mind and then uh, coming into heaven, that, that angels are people who've gone through this long spiritual journey and continue to open more and more so that the, the divine is flowing out and through them. Um, so they definitely, they're, they're just leagues beyond where we are. He says that the wisdom that they have, the love they have, the beauty they have is, is just amazingly more than anybody here on earth has, but they all were like us once. And it's, it's a path that we can all walk as well. So he says that, that, yeah, everything, everybody has the same opportunities um, to, to become an angel and to, that they are everything that we hope they are and everything everyone's reported, all the, the ability to help and, and be moving and loving, but, but that it's, it's a journey and an angel is not um, so much a separate category as, uh, you know, it's like calling someone an adult, you know, they've reached a certain phase in that growth and evolution. Well, angel is, is sort of the next phase. And then he even makes distinctions about, you know, higher and higher angels based on this opening up of the mind. So, you can have, uh, you know, angels that are even more of angels than other angels and people continually moving up. Okay. Did Swedenborg think that there are guardian angels in our lives? Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. And in a, in a couple of different ways, he, he talks about there being um, two angels with every person and at least, and one of those with our minds, one of those with our hearts. And that this is like, without those around, we would not just not be looked after, but we would cease to exist. That there's this sort of chain of, um, chain of, of spiritual reality and that, that angels are a link in that, that we have to, it sort of seems to us like when we're walking around in this world that, you know, oh, the spiritual world might exist somewhere. It's not really a big factor in my day-to-day life. I don't really care. Uh, but, but Swedenborg says if we didn't have a link to the spiritual world, we would instantly disappear. I mean, we would be annihilated. That We have to have that. And these angels are providing that link for us. So there's, there's those two that are so closely tied to us that they're giving us life. And then he also talks about, you know, uh, societies of angels caring for people, looking out for people that, that yeah, we're always, we, we very much are um, being watched over by heaven and, and, and by God. So would you say when, when, when we're born that there's definitely an angel assigned to us? That's what he thinks, right? Because you have two angels yeah. you set around you. That's right. Yeah. And he even talks about um, our spirit kind of making its own journey in the, um, in the spiritual world so that, you know, you have sort of, there, there are some angels I think that stay with you, but there's also like different groups of angels around you at different times in your life. And he says, that's kind of why we change like we do that, that, um, you know, infants and babies have that have these sort of the deepest, the, the highest angels around them. And that's why they have this, innocence that, that's so uh, mesmerizing to the rest of us you know that that's part of that heaven coming through and then you have a different set of angels uh, when you're in adolescence and in adulthood but I, I do I, I'm not totally clear on I, I would imagine that there are some that stay with you for your whole journey but there's also kind of this this uh, these different places that your spirit travels to as as you change as a person and are better suited to different communities but yes certainly um, there's a constant angelic presence this is a question i have what was his distinction between the angels and your spirit guide i you know i don't know um so the the term spirit guide as we use it now wasn't around uh in the in the 1750s or in 60s when he was writing so he so he's just describing he's using terminology that's familiar with him um for for him but i would imagine you know what he calls angels a lot of people would call spirit guides uh, he, mm-hmm. he also talks about sort of your your spiritual community that that each of us have a community that we sort of belong to or are moving towards and it could be that those are what he's calling spirit so i don't know what the analog would be but he yeah well, he's just using different terminology okay. so i couldn't really nail it down so the spiritual community would be sort of like i uh your soul group people in your soul group absolutely yeah okay that's I was just gonna yeah in your soul group, and then um, people always wonder how can how can we tell when our angels are are around us? Yeah, and that's that's a great question. And Swedenborg provides some insight on it, um, but ton. I mean, he so he get, does give a few um, a few pointers. He says that that angels uh, really are most closely involved with our goals in life. Um, that, that they're, what they're interested in is what are we, what are we trying to do uh, and, and what are we chasing uh, and, and trying to work those towards more and more 
heavenly things. And so you can kind of feel there's a, there's a connection there. So if you focus on what am I, what's driving me in life that you can see, like if, if it's something that feels good, that could potentially be angels. He says that angels can even be affecting how you think. You know, their mm-hmm. presence can change your mood and your thoughts. So you can even be watching for evidence of angels in your own thinking. I know that there's definitely times when I'll, uh, some thought will just hit me that's like, I've never had that before. And that really helps me in this situation. You know, that, that can even be something from heaven. And even in feelings, there's times when I'm just like, well, I just get this good feeling. So that those, those could potentially be connections to heaven. Um, and so, so there's, there's that. Um, a lot of times it's above our heads, but there are certain times when it seems to peek through and he seems to indicate that we don't, you know, depending on how some people are, are seeing angels and talking to them all the time, you know, clearly and overtly for the rest of us, I think you'd be looking for it in that things that feel angelic in, in your mind and heart. There's, there is a communication there, even if we can't see it one-to-one. Sort of like when something pops in your head and you think, gee, wow, where did that come from? And it helps you. Yeah, You're struggling exactly. with something and all of a sudden something pops in your head and you say, gee, where did that come from? I know. And I'll, cause I, cause I'll have been like struggling with something forever and I just have tried to think it all the way through and I don't have any answers. And then suddenly this brand new thing comes in and I just like, there's no way I just thought that up. That had to come from somewhere. Yeah. That's happened to me a number of times really. Um, yeah. And uh, Swinburne talks about children in heaven. Um, would you explain what he said about that? You know, because we get a lot of questions about when when children pass over. Yeah, he does describe um, children in heaven, and he talks about that uh, any child who dies anywhere on the earth under any circumstances is immediately taken into heaven, and he says that. They are cared for there by angels who have particularly loved children uh, and that they're sort of like like foster parents to them there and that they're raised uh, in heaven. And, and they still have to grow and develop just like we do on Earth. So it's not like you, you're a kid and you go into heaven and, you know, suddenly you're an adult angel. You know, that there's the same kind of process. And he talks about the, the kinds of like um, learning that, that kids do there and there's this, this sort of little sweet development uh, and then they're still childlike and they're, they're moving along just like we see kids do on earth and that there's programs that angels are making to, to teach them things. And there, it, you know, it's all, um, he says it's actually a much happier state than we have here because the children aren't weighed down by any of the cares of the world or things that we might have here. So it's actually, they're really well taken care of, but they're still, you know, still learning and, and growing uh, and taking the journey that they would have been taking here on earth into, into becoming an, a rational, independent adult. But he, he talks about, yeah, just amazing love directed towards them and amazing care that, that, that they're given a safe, healthy environment to develop in and, uh, and, and a, a lot of wisdom in, in how they're led to, to grow and think for themselves and, and hopefully, um, you know, continue to, 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 um, progress more and more. Uh, and so it's definitely a question that comes up because, you know, what's, what's more heartbreaking than, than losing a, a child or, or knowing someone who has, um, and, uh, you know, my, when I was younger, my sister died when I was six, you know, and, and I know for me and for my parents, this concept of, you know, she's still there. She's, she's growing up in heaven. That was something that we could turn to 
you know, in, in that time. And so uh, he just gives some really, really beautiful accounts of, of just how carefully children are, are cared for in, in the next life. I can relate to that too, Curtis, because um, I had a sister too that died at childbirth. And I always tell people when they ask me that, that from the time they take their uh, final breath here, that they're never alone. They're, they're taken over on the other side by, like you said, by angels usually. Yeah, that, that's, that's a great way to put it. Um, okay. A lot of people are concerned about their pets. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, are pets in the afterlife? I know they're going to be yeah. with their owners. I, I, yeah, I, I definitely, a lot of people are concerned about that. It's often one of the first questions people ask here. And I think that that shows a major cultural difference uh, back in the time that Swedenborg was writing. Because, in, like, I, I heard once that, like, the first, um, you know, like, lost dog poster didn't appear until the, like, 1800s. You know, that, that we were so much more aware of our, our pets and, and their, what they mean here. And I just say all this because he, he doesn't, like, you'd think that'd be one of the first things he addresses since so many people are asking about it. But he never... I don't that I know of. I don't think he ever mentions pets and what happens with them. So we've we've had to like look around for what does he just say about animals in general and try to pull something together. We did a show called um, uh, "Are Are There Animals in the Afterlife?" or something something close to that, where we looked into and we came to the conclusion that yeah, I mean that that you would have you would be reunited with them because love is what creates connection in the afterlife um, and and the love that that you know your your feeling for your pets would naturally draw them towards you um and uh and so so it's but also you read as you know as i'm sure you have near-death experiences and that kind of thing mm-hmm. where people do seem to see their pets and, and interact with them and i to me that seems like you know that would be heaven you know that, that there's so much love between people and their animals that that's got to be that you know i have a a fish tank you know and whenever a little fish dies um, you know, I, you know, me and my wife talk about, you know, it's sort of a joke, but it's sort of real. Like, you know, that, that, like there's some pond in heaven where all those fish are ending up and I'm going to get to see them again. And to me, that feels like heaven. That feels like, wow, that, that's happy. So I'm, I'm hoping that there's something like that. Um, it's not, yeah. So it's not an area where Swedenborg gives a ton, sheds a ton of light, but um, it's, it seems based on the heart that like, there's got to be some, happy reunion or, or something like that um you know because uh that feels like heaven so, so that's a, just a couple of thoughts on that yeah um and i i agree with that when i do readings for people at times their pets will come in and to validate that we they mm. we're usually shown what the pet looks like and even sometimes get the name of the pet so they're definitely over there yeah i i feel they are anyway cool yeah and then would you talk a little bit about finding our true selves? Sure. Yeah, we did a, we did an episode uh, called how to find your true self. And it's, it's interesting because Swedenborg, he was really, you know, finding his true self through this experience that kind of led to him being able to, uh, you know, do have this whole spiritual experience phase of his life and that, what he was finding was there was a lot of stuff that he thought was him, but wasn't really him. You know, all the, all the, the pride he had around his accomplishments, all the prestige and the honors uh, that, that he had gotten in this world, 
that wasn't him. That was actually, you know, sort of blocking him. And that, that the true, what he was, who he really was and who was really meant to be was this, um, you know, this person that he found through the experience of, of humility and love that he gained here. So that there's, there's things that, that masquerade as us, you know, sort of our, what we would now call our ego, our attachments, um, you know, the, our, our competitiveness with other people, um, our, our desire to be seen as greater than other people or, or as more interesting or more fascinating or, or smarter or whatever we're trying to be. None of that is the real us. The, 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 the real you is, uh, you know, if, should we seek to uncover it, is this, as, like I said, like a cell in the body, this state of loving and being loved. The, the sharing of love and that that's our destiny is to be in a place where we're completely loved and valued. And at the same time, want nothing more than to, to give and help and serve. And we don't want to be better than other people. And that within that, there is this unique place that each of us can potentially contribute from because nobody is exactly like anybody else. And, and then Swedenborg says to eternity, there can never be people who are exactly the same. So each of us, have our own way we think about life and our own way that we feel. And that from that, we can, we can give something to the, to the human race, to, 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 to the universe that nothing else can. And so that the true self that we're looking to find is this, this realization of that destiny, that, that you can you know, bring something that nobody else can bring and feel the, the total joy that comes from giving your gift and then receiving the gifts of others all without, without any of this ego stuff that was sort of holding us back before. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And I know you did a show on this and I want to ask you about it. And we get this a lot too. Why don't those who have died communicate with us more? Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's funny. Cause that's actually our most popular show on, on the channel. And, um, and so the answer, you know, and, the, you know, that's probably a really complex answer if you really look at it. And so what we were just trying to stress to people is the, the spiritual world that, that Swedenborg describes, you know, is, is like the physical world in that it's complex. You know, you think about the, the conversation that you and I are having right now on, on blog talk radio. The only way we can have that is through this amazing arrangement of technology, you know, that that I have to have this laptop here and it's got to be exactly right. And I need my microphone to be working. I need my Wi-Fi connection to be working, which I I have no idea how Wi-Fi works in the first place. Um, But, but that's all going to be working. Your stuff has to be working. Blog talk radio has to be hosting, right? Whoever's listening, their computers need to be working. All that needs to be in, in order in order for, this communication to work. Um, and that he describes a spiritual world. That's just, it's different than the physical world, but it's just as complex, you know, and it just as much needs to be in its order for things to work uh, as, as here does. So I guess that what we were trying to sh- say is that, you know, the, the human race is not, uh, it has closed itself off a bit. Swedenborg talks about the back, nearer to the beginning of, of the, the human race, uh, we were much more open to the spiritual world, that there was this sort of direct communication that, that almost everyone could have with people in the afterlife. There was communication through dreams. I mean, people, some people are having it now, but it's, it's much more rare. But because of these things well, I mentioned before. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
so like because of things like selfishness, materialism, all this stuff kind of gets in there and right. sort of breaks our connection to the spiritual world, just like, you know, physical interference can, if I spilled water on my computer here, I couldn't talk to you anymore. So it's kind of like mm-hmm. this, the things on a spiritual level have kind of mucked up that connection. So it's much harder for the other side to reach us. And what we were trying to say in that episode was um, it doesn't, just because you're not hearing from somebody doesn't mean that they don't care about you. It's just that the, the potential for communication is, is complicated um, and, and it's not, it doesn't work like it should. And, and there's all kinds of, you know, um, subtleties there. Like, you know, there's certain times when we need to not quite know exactly what's going on because we've got to figure something out for ourselves. So there's all kinds of stuff going on. But the, the primary message we were trying to get across there is it's complicated. And it, just because you're not hearing from people doesn't mean they don't love you or just because, you know, somebody else, you know, they did hear from their loved one and you didn't, that doesn't mean, you know, that you're not as loved. It's just, it's a complex thing. Just like the physical world is, is a complex thing. It is. And more people need to, to get into the silence and meditate a little bit more. And I think that would help a lot. Exactly. I, yeah, I agree. Okay. And, uh, I want to ask you about the Swedenborg, um, the uh, Arts International Conference, it'll be held in June. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So Swedenborg, even though he's not that well known to the general public, he has had a lot of influence on, on some key people uh, throughout the the years since, since he stopped writing it and today. And one area where he's maybe had more influence than anywhere else is in art. So there's a lot of famous artists. William Blake and uh, George Innes, uh, you know, all kinds of people were, were influenced by Swedenborg's descriptions and that made their way into art. And what this conference is trying to do is show just how much influence there has been there that maybe we're, you know, we, we're not aware of. So it's a joint production of the Swedenborg Foundation, who I work for, also Bryn Athen College and the uh, also the uh, Swedenborgian uh, House of Swedenborgian Studies at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley. There, are, those three organizations are coming together to present this conference. It's in, this June, the sixth to the ninth, uh, on the campus of Bryn Athen College. And what you're going to get is experts, actually from around the world, a uh, bunch of different continents and, and countries, coming together to talk about specific areas where Swedenborg has had influence. So if you go to um, Swedenborg foundation website swedenborg.com we have a page up there about it and you should be able to find some information there but essentially they're looking into how much of the art that we see now has been influenced by swedenborg and what about his message you know influenced these people to to do what they did okay um well now is the time that if callers want to call in and chat with uh, curtis that would be great and we'll wait and see if somebody's going to call us. And cool. we'll go from there. But I, I do feel after reading and some of the quotes uh, Emmanuel did and everything, I felt he was sort of, he was frustrated because he had the connection to the spirit people in the spirit world. And a lot of people doubted him. There was probably a lot of doubters around him. Yeah, I, certainly. Um, and, and it, yeah, it got pretty serious that he was having a, a attacks from m- multiple areas. You know, he was put on trial um, 
in Sweden because what he was saying was not um, in line with the Christian church doctrine <laughs> then, which, which at the time in Europe, you, you know, you could be, you could be convicted for, for heresy. Um, so he had that, but he also then had, you know, people who he was hoping would, would embrace what he was writing, who rejected it. You know, he had friends who turned away from him and in, gen- in general, sort of a lack of interest. Um, you know, there, he, he, it's not like the books were flying off the shelf. Um, and it was, he also was really trying to convince uh, a lot of the time sort of academics and uh, church leaders that, look, it's, it's different than you think it is. What, what you're telling everyone about the truth, about life after death and everything, that's, that's not how it is. And he was trying to get people to listen to that. So there was all kinds of doubters. Um, there were some supporters as well. But, you know, he, he's, you think about it, he went from being a very well-respected scientist to then coming out and saying, um, hey, I talked to spirits and angels. You know, a lot of people made fun of him uh, and thought he w- had lost his mind and, and all everything in between. So I, I do think that it was hard for him seeing this spiritual stuff as such a reality, but most of the world uh, not acknowledging that, that it was a possibility. Thank you. We have two callers, so we'll start with the one. Okay. Hi, welcome to the Truth Seeker Show. Can we have a first name, please? Hi, uh, my name's Sue. Go ahead, Sue. Ask your question. Hi, um, I was wondering, since Swedenborg was a was more of a scientist to, to begin with, did he do any kind of scientific testing or anything uh, about this, you know, connection with the spirit world at all? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, Sue. Um, so he he had a he was limited in the the kinds of instruments that he could use because he didn't have anything that could that could cross. Well, the most scientific things he was doing was the the rigorousness of his documentation. So he would mm-hmm. record. He kept what, what was called um, is now published uh, as his Journal of Spiritual Experiences, um, or it's sometimes called Spiritual Diary, where he just every day would record his experiences and what happened and how it happened. Um, and so you really have just this sort of record of the raw data of, of the spiritual world. And he was conducting, you know, ex- what, what, what would be con- considered experiments. Like he, he would be thinking certain things and then see what result that brought about. Um, and then he would be, be able to catalog exactly how different spirits affected him and what he would even talk about what part of the body they were affecting and why, and he was able to, you know, describe everything really well. He wasn't doing like um, hypotheses and then running, able to run tests. He, d- he didn't have that much uh, control over it, but I'd say the, you could definitely see in the way that he approached describing things, his scientific training and even science in his day wasn't as refined as it is now. But, but in general, I think the, the, the best he did with that was the meticulous nature with which he described things and his, his uh, work with categorizing everything and, and relating everything back to universal principles. It wasn't just a flurry of, oh, this happened, and then today I saw you know, a person with a, a green scarf, and then, then I also saw a spirit flying from the north to the south. He looked at why, why were things appearing like they were? What, what does the scarf mean? Why north to south? What do those directions mean? So he was able to um, sort of describe things almost at like a you know text science textbook level, but but with the subject material being being spiritual things. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think she it does. Thank you, Sue. Oh, okay, great. 
Thanks, Sue. Hi, welcome to the Truth Seeker Show. Please have a first name. Ann. Hi, Ann. Ask away. Hi, Karen. Great show. Thank you. I have a question about souls and their uniqueness. Sure. You you mentioned that we're all unique forever, soul-wise. Are all the souls already in existence that are ever going to be, or are new souls created? Did Swedenborg speak to this? Yes, uh, he did, and he indicated that new souls are yet to come. Now, there's because he he his vision of the human race was it's ever expanding. That it's oh everything we, you think about you know how many people there are now that he says that that's just that's just a little beginning compared to what's yet to come and yet to come. Now there's like there's this it's not that the potential for people doesn't exist that, that we are all uh, in our uniqueness sort of a a manifestation of a particular part of the divine. But uh, there's since the divine is unlimited the potential for, for different people is unlimited. So um, he did seem to picture uh, a human race that expanded and expanded and that, that really he talks about individual lives continuing to grow and expand, as we mentioned earlier in the show, and that the human race is, is doing that as well. So no, he, he very much thought that there, there's brand new people getting ready to join this thing um, and that, that it doesn't matter how many people do it, how many people show up, there's always going to be more. And actually, the more people there are, the better. You know, we, we often think about, you know, overpopulating or overcrowding or something. But the way that he describes heaven is that actually the more people join any one community, the better that community functions. So the bigger that the whole thing gets, the better it works for everyone. So, so not only are we uh, able to live in harmony, but it's actually, he says, angels long for nothing more than for new arrivals to come in and work. So the human race is, is always expanding, and that's good news uh, for everyone. May I ask another question? You certainly can. Yeah. Near-death experiencers hardly ever, if ever, mention that they encounter alien races in heaven. Do human souls are they formed from alien races, and can will we at some point evolve and belong to other alien communities? Yeah, that's it's a great question. And Swedenborg actually makes has this funny terminology that he uses, because he does talk about visiting other planets, and he talks about meeting the inhabitants of those planets, and you know, obviously them being you know, different species, but he calls them all human. But he has this broader term for what human means, that the human is really a, uh, has more to do with the way that we think and feel about life than, than biological species. So he talked about in the higher levels of heaven, people from all different planets in the universe uh, living together. Um, but, but even though there were different characteristics, like uh, in appearance and everything that the people from different planets had, um, yet he called them all human because there was something that was fundamentally 
fundamentally unifying about it. And it wasn't a physical characteristic, but it was a, a spiritual characteristic, something about uh, the way that, that you, you can participate in love and, and in wisdom. So, and it seems like that at the lower levels of heaven, uh, when, when the mind is less open, there's sort of a little bit less mingling because people are a little less um, connected or, or willing to, to accept differences. But the more inward you go, the higher and higher in heaven, uh, the more there was this, everybody can, can coexist, people from all kinds of planets and, and you know, all kinds of walks of life on those planets. And he talked about, you know, going and visiting, you know, this, these other places in the universe and, and still noting that even if you took all the people in the universe and, and if all the whole universe was filled with planets, making, making people of different kinds, uh, you'd never fill it up, that there'd always be room for more. And as I said before, and for that sort of growth. So, so that, that's a couple of thoughts on that. Are we barking up the wrong tree by trying to find signs of life on other planets, assuming that that life would have the same requirements for water and air as we have? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's such a good question. I, I feel like it's worth. I feel like it's worth barking up it. He, you know, as, as to whether you know, you're going to find the same recognizable life or, or whether it's something totally different. I don't know. And he doesn't, Swedenborg doesn't provide much help in that because he doesn't really talk about physical characteristics or, or and there wasn't much knowledge of, of chemistry and that kind of thing when he was, when he was alive and publishing. Uh, but, you know, so your guess is as good as mine on, uh, on whether we can find, you know, other life physically and, and if we're going to be able to recognize it or not. But it's fascinating. And all I can say is I, I hope we do find some soon because that would that would be a, a wonderful thing to see in my lifetime do we look like orbs on the other side when we're in heaven at some level so that our physical body is irrelevant so swedenborg has interesting commentary on appearance there um so he says that we have a physical body and a spiritual body and that the uh, the spiritual body is actually intimately connected to the physical body. So that the physical body wouldn't have, that's the difference between living and non-living things, is this connection to the spiritual, the spiritual body sort of within them. So he does talk about people having a, a spiritual form that resembles the physical form, meaning like hands, feet, legs, and arms. And that even initially, we kind of look like ourselves. However, that's an outer appearance because the way that we look physically is, is not determined by our character. It's determined by genetics and the environment that we're in. So he says that spiritually, uh, as, as we move on in the afterlife, we actually be, begin to look like what's in our hearts and minds. You know, so, so whatever kind of love we have there shines through and it kind of shows in the, in the form that we accept there. And he says that it makes us look like people, but like more and more beautiful people uh, or um, depending, but, but there's always, there's always an expansive picture because he does talk about actually certain, certain spirits that he met that actually wanted to be seen just as orbs. Even if they had this underlying spiritual body, they, they wanted to be seen as these sort of spheres of light. So I imagine there's, there's all kinds of ways things appear. And he talks about representations that, that there'll be certain, people you approach them and they look like one thing when they're far away and then they look like a different thing when you get closer and it's all as i said near the beginning of the show 
it's not arbitrary. It's telling you something about their character that everything with it. Cause here it can be like, you know, you can be a very uh, nice looking person, but you're, you're not nice uh, on the inside or, or vice versa. Uh, it doesn't, you know, outer looks don't t- usually tell much about what's going on inside, but there everything is what it seems to be so that there's a sort of honesty in, in appearance and he, and there's all kinds of appearances, but, but yet structure to it. Well, thank you so much for your answers. I appreciate it very much. No problem. I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. Thank you. Thank you, Anne, for calling. Thanks, Karen. Curtis, can you Good talk question. a little? Can you talk a little bit about when somebody signs that somebody's having a spiritual awakening? You did it. You did a show on that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, we we recently did a show that was called Ten Early Signs of a Spiritual Awakening," um, and what we did there was when Swedenborg was having his spiritual awakening, um, he was, as I said, documenting the whole thing. He didn't know what it was at the time. He didn't realize he was having a spiritual awakening, but he was keeping a journal of his dreams and experiences. And that actually almost was lost, but then was found in in the library of of somebody uh, like 80 years later. So we got to read Swedenborg's journal of dreams um, and hear sort of what he was going through as this process was happening. And so what we did is I was doing that show with Dr. Jonathan Rose, who's translating Sweden or the head of the translation uh, committee that's producing the new century edition translations of Swedenborg's works. And he was doing some research into this journal of dreams, this early period in, in Swedenborg's awakening and sort of isolated the different symptoms that Swedenborg had as this progressed. Cause there were all kinds of things he reported, but we, we picked 10 that were sort seemed to occur the most. And they really spanned, um, everything from very physical seeming symptoms like like sweating uh, and and tears at times um, to other things that were more uh, interior. He talked about Swedenborg talked about having a second set of thoughts that he had a hard time controlling, and that they were kind of sort of like feeling like almost a little war going on inside him between the positive and negative. Um, and so we just went through and and looked at what what occurred to him now. That's his experience. It might not be exactly the same for other people. Uh, there might be some similarities. There, there might be entirely different experiences. But we wanted to see, because he was recording his in real time before he even knew what it was, what, what was it? And it was this combination of emotional stuff. You know, he was grappling with feelings of unworthiness and, and that, that he was un, unsavable or, or you know, unsalvageable. But then also intellectual, he was coming to learn new things about life. He was learning the, the intimacy of the connection with the spiritual world and, and that sort of thing. But then also um, it was physical at times. He would find himself thrown forward so that, so that he, he fell over and, and had to lie on the ground for a little while. He would find himself, you know, hearing. And then some, some things would start to filter through from the spiritual world. He would begin to hear things. That, that we didn't have a physical basis. Uh, he was beginning to see things. So we, we just tried to pull together what are the, the signs, and that those were his, and, and there may be something we can glean from that to, to look for what's going on in our own lives. Yeah, I was just curious about that because it, it, people have different experiences for their spiritual awakening. Everybody's different, and they're going to have special, uh, different experiences. 
I, I, I think so. Yep. You just, as we were saying, we're all unique. And so, but it is fascinating to read individuals accounts just to see how did it go for them? And, and are there any similarities? Okay, Curtis. Well, thank you very much for gracing us with your presence tonight. I hope people listened in and learned a lot more about Emmanuel. He was quite a fascinating person. Certainly. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I had a lot of fun and I really enjoyed talking to you and the audience. Thank you. Take care. That concludes our show for tonight. I want to thank our guest, Curtis Childs. Our guest next month on June 18th will be Reverend Len Forchett. She has been a member of Lilydale Assembly for 28 years and has been a registered medium in Lilydale for 15 years. Lynn is currently serving her ninth year on the Lilydale Assembly Board of Directors and holds the position of President of the Board and CEO of Lilydale Assembly. Our truth seekers will be able to call in, and she will be doing some online readings. So mark your calendars. I want to thank all the truth seekers for listening tonight. Till we meet again, may you be the light that helps others see.